Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Unnamed English Minds podcast, the podcast which is hoping to manage longer than 52 seconds before it all goes wrong. I'm Connor, joining me as always is Sheridan. Hello Sheridan. How are we doing? We've started well so far. We have started well on this recording, um, I will admit that, but uh, the less said about the last one the better. Um, <laughs> I need to learn the name of the pod, but um, anyway, how was your weekend? My weekend was alright up until Minds played. Other than that, dandy. How was yours? Yeah, um, mine was good on either side when I was playing, but not for those two hours. It was it was not great, that game. Um, you know, I still, I still enjoyed bits of it, but yeah, the, the result could have been a lot better. But it's always nice to have a weekend up in Berlin. and uh, Always yeah. is. We talked about this previously, that we were disappointed to a certain extent that Hertha got relegated because it meant one less trip to Berlin. Because a Berlin weekend is always good fun, but one less trip to Berlin also means one less trip or one less journey of five hours at a time getting to and from home, so... That's always a good thing, I think. Unless we earn one in the cup, so fingers crossed that we'll be bookending our season by uh, playing the final game of it in Berlin for the cup final. But a boy can dream. Yeah, I think based on Saturday, uh, not even Saturday, was it? Based on Sunday's viewing, that's getting very far ahead of ourselves. But into Sunday's game, I think we just need to rip off the plaster and uh, talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, it was an unchanged team. Uh, from the one that beat Elversberg the week before um, Dominic Core at centre-back again was probably the main talking point in that what were your expectations heading in what were your thoughts when you saw the team line up and asked not good <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> you, we'll probably see that this isn't going to be one of our most positive episodes is it this is uh, this is Sheridan at his absolute worst his cynical worst um, Elversberg we talked about wasn't the best performance in the world it wasn't great we did enough we we did we had good spells and we said that we didn't play as fluidly as I think we're going to play this season and then went into the game against a team that will play in the Champions League this season and irrespective of Oz Fisher's comments saying that they're looking to just avoid relegation this season they'll probably try and challenge for the Champions League again um, and we went in with an unchanged team which included uh, like you say Dominic Core at centre-half which didn't go particularly well against Elfersberg, and I didn't expect it to go particularly well against Union. Um, and that was proven within 52 seconds when he got caught in, on the wing, um, got left standing, the cross came in, Kevin Behrens then had the freedom of, of Berlin and Brandenburg to, to rise above the defender and put us 1-0 down inside the first minute. Um, so big disappointment and kind of expected. Um, but it, we, we were t- I was talking to the to the guys before the game and I was bigging them up. We had our friends over from England for the weekend. I was bigging them up and said, you know, lads, it's the Bundesliga's back, football's back, the sun's up, the beers are out, we're all here, we're all going to have a good time. Bosch, 1-0 down. Okay, I take that back. Sorry, boys. Yeah, I don't know why you dragged them to, to it. But I mean, yeah, I think from the unchanged perspective, I think Elversberg was kind of a fixture where you could really view it in a positive or a negative way depending on your swing on things. So my take on it, as I mentioned on the pod before, was slightly more positive in terms of like they did what they needed to do. They didn't do a whole lot more, but they were never really under that much pressure of not getting through. Um, you know, a double chance notwithstanding, which is always going to happen at the end of a cup tie. So it's one of those things where looking at that one result in complete isolation because you know friendlies mean absolutely nothing in terms of results and performances really um you can't sort of take those and then transport them onto a competitive game and sort of analyze them in the same way and then without having played a competitive fixture for months and obviously the future not having happened yet um it was hard to say i mean was that poor performance just emblematic of what we're going to do or was it um 
on, well, was it a poor performance or was it just sort of, yeah, you know, this is a starting point and we can um, move on from there? I think now that we've got this second game, it kind of looks a little bit like a bit of a poor performance rather than doing what you need to do to get through kind of thing. Yeah, I think one of the biggest concerns I've got is you're talking about the unchanged side. It's not just an unchanged side from the Elfersburg game. It's also an unchanged side pretty much of what we were using at the back end of last season. So you had that um, shocking performance away at Wolfsburg. We had that shocking performance away at, away at Frankfurt. Um, we had those silly games against Bremen and Schalke where we were beaten or lost from a winning position in the absolute last second. Um, and we've come in, we've made some decent signings over the summer and we've not used them and we've brought through some youth lads that look really, really exciting. And again, we've not used them. We've trusted what we had at the back end of last year who, to a certain extent, stopped proving that they're good enough um, and, and carried on with that. And it's it's one of those kind of, you know, a mistake is a mistake. It's only crazy when you try and get different results from doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so I'm hoping that, that Bo will have looked at these games and learned from them and we'll go into the Frankfurt game on Sunday a bit braver. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of those poor results towards the end of the season, I think, were a lot to do with having suspensions of key uh, key players at very inopportune times. So obviously, like, the Frankfurt game was quite a lot based on the fact that we lost Cora and Barrero, both of them, for that one game and then had to play a very, very substandard midfield, which kind of just lost a lot of the balance that the team had. Um, And I think it's a different scenario this time, but... I think losing core in the midfield is such an important presence for that whole team, just going backwards and forwards. Um, and it is obviously a lot more comfortable doing that than being quite deep. I think it's um, something that basically all of the players in the team have to kind of work around it because, yeah, it, once you lose that sort of key key player in the middle, then, then the players that sort of feed into him have to, to change and then the players that feed into those players have to change. So it's one of those things where probably, like if you were to allow... Stack and Barrero to play with Core also there in the centre. They're both able to get about their games a lot better than they did in at least in the first half um, against Union. Plus, as well, then you have another centre back at the back, and I think it's it's frustrating that we've actually probably improved our centre back stocks in terms of the in terms of the defence at the club over the summer. In terms of obviously Hack's gone, but we've brought Seth Vandenberg in. Um, Leitch has sort of returned to first team prominence. But then we've had the injuries. Um, Seth van der Berg's not quite ready to play 90 yet. Um, and obviously, yeah, I don't know why Leitch hasn't been getting on, but um, Hanjarol's and obviously being injured. I think it, really, it, it kind of has meant that even though that's actually probably a position of strength, we've, we're actually starting the, the season weaker and it's uh, definitely I think frustrating. I think Leitch is still injured. Certainly before the Burnley game, the pre-season game, he was missing because of muscle problems. And then it was Hanjar Olsen that got injured in the first half of the Burnley game. Um, and he's just a huge miss. The first two games have proven that he is missing from the heart of defence hugely because he offers such a stability in there, such a solidity that Dominic Kaur doesn't offer that deep uh yeah i mean it's just not field. his game is it no. i mean you're you're asking him to use his skills to fill in somewhere else that he's not fully familiar with yeah and i think as well it does then have a bit of a negative impact for example on someone like Milson fernandez who has played at center back now for a year has you know done that to varying degrees of success and often quite good often not quite so good um, I think because he's not also not really a trained centre-back, he's just kind of been learning on the job. I think he's the sort of player that probably does 
look better once he's got sort of two fairly locked in centre backs next to him. And obviously once you're playing a midfielder out of position, then it does very much then just look at as look like one centre back and then two people doing a job because they've been asked to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean if we're going along with Bo's preferred uh, formation, which is the five at the back, and you're playing with effectively three centre halves, then you want at least two of them in there and certainly the kind of central centre back of the three to be able to dictate the game and when one of them gets caught out of position or when one of them goes napping for a second that he's able to then call over and say oi wake up you need to be here you need to be there and you need to do it now and that was clearly missing and like I say from the first goal um, the ball's come out to the to the left hand side or our right hand side um, core has been dragged across from that kind of right centre half position he's been caught out of mass, out of position massively the cross was too easy the header was too easy because uh, Fernandez hasn't gone with his man and Behrens like I said had the freedom of Berlin to then get up in the air and had a very good goal he took it very well um, but he had a lot of time to get up and do it and then on the flip side eight minutes later in the ninth minute um, it happened again it was on the other side the ball came in from our left uh, and again, the centre-half didn't get across to him quickly enough, which meant that once again, he had the freedom to get up and head the ball home. And I think the worst thing about that was not, like I say, about players getting dragged out of position and, and having someone in the centre of the park to dictate and say, you need to do this, you need to do it, and you need to do it now. That didn't happen, which meant that if Behrens hadn't got to the second goal, there were two unmarked only on players behind him waiting to tuck the ball home with Leo Barrero on the penalty spot scratching his butt. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, he... like. I think the thing that's bad about the goals is there's not there's so much wrong that it's not actually an individual error at any point. It's like everyone has basically made an individual error that's con- contributed to it. So, like you say, um, calls kind of all at sea. De Costa, I don't even know what he's doing in the build-up for the first one. Still on um, the and bench. Then that means that you're left with, for some reason, we're all sucked in over onto our right-hand side. Again, they're sort of queuing up at the back. Um, but look, Stefan Bell's not marking anyone. So he leaves Fernandez with a difficult decision of, do I go with this guy or do I just leave two people at the back post? He doesn't make a decision, which just makes it easier for Behrens. But like, I think you can't... Basically, every single defensive player in that, in that thing has done something wrong. Apart from Zentner, who has nothing that he can do about it. Because it is, as well as being horrendous, it's then also a good ball, an excellent flicked header, inch perfect into the corner. Yeah, second one's not quite as good. I think there's more that can be done about it. But Bell's dragged up wide. Basically, you're just left with some fullbacks and midfielders in the middle. Um, No communication. And it's just ball watching. Defenders not on their toes. You can see they're just on the flats of their feet. I think the thing that's frustrating is, you know, if we'd have gone down 1-0 and then just kind of went back about a game, obviously they talked a lot about how they'd been practising for crosses and stuff because we know what Union's strengths are. Um, then I mean, it's, it's not as easy as just like I'll oh, just do what you've been doing in training but like it can't be that much more hard than that like just like don't make the same mistake again the fact that they basically it's, it's not a carbon copy in terms of exactly what happened before the goal but it is essentially the same goal being scored twice like surely we should learn from our mistakes it's know. very difficult to accept as a fan if we've come out or if Bo's come out and said we've worked hard on, on defending crosses from uh uh, in pre-season and in training to then within the first match day of the season be 2-0 down within 10 minutes to two headers from what were simple crosses you know they they were well-placed crosses but these are balls coming in from deep they've not hit the byline and, and pulled it back where you're not sure if you should be running back at your own goal with the man or whatever the ball's coming from deep so theoretically as a centre-back you should be able to muscle the man out of the way anyway um, yeah. but, the but fact- it's not even like uh, Behrens is well known as like a scorer of headed goals I mean obviously he's now got three in a row but like you know, it, if if you were sort of selecting danger men from that Union squad, 
before the game, he would not necessarily have been the main person that you're worried about. So the fact that they've kind of, I mean, again, then in the, in the second half, gone on to concede another one, basically concede the, free, the, the, the goal three times. It's just a little bit, you know, you, you do need to learn from your mistakes. And I mean, we came back into the game a little bit with a couple of half chances, but they've also hit the bar from free kick and fourth centre into another good save as fingertips. So there's not much positive you can say about the first half. There's not anything positive I can say about the first half, unfortunately. So let's, let's skip over it before before this turns yeah, into a... Yeah, it turns to Arsenal fan TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so half-time, no changes made. Um, do you think it's correct to have let the team that got us into a bit of a mess try and get us out of it? No. Um, like I was saying with the unchanged 11, I don't think it was. Uh, Onizivo and Lee didn't offer anything in the first half. Um, we've talked extensively about Brian Gruder. I think he's such an extremely exciting player um, and deserves his chance. And it was proven. Um, he came on in the most surprising of fashion, Bo Swenson making a substitute before the 75th minute. That was a minor miracle in itself. But Brian Gruder came on and within 10 seconds, he'd been cleaned out and we'd won a penalty. Which brings us on to the next talking point of the match, namely the first penalty uh, for Ludovic Ashok. So, I mean, basically, this is a, a um, coming together of two of the main points of analysis last week. So the first one is that we wanted to see a lot more of Brian Gruder, and I think both of us have been kind of justified there. But what we did also do, and what I had to basically apologise for during the game, because I just felt I can't, uh, can't let the narrative get away from us, is that we, we praised Ludovic Ashok's penalty. Uh, and then he's taken, let's talk about just the first one to begin with. He's taken essentially the same penalty, same technique, and, you know, it's not been met quite so well. It's, it's been saved pretty well by Renault. Are we to blame? I would struggle to say that we're to blame based on the penalty he took here and self because it was good. He sent the keeper the wrong way. He's he's found the bottom corner. And not even just found the bottom corner. He's found kind of the side netting. It's the ideal penalty for a lot of ways. Um, may, maybe we jinxed him. Maybe we are to blame. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I think it is because I think... What I've seen this penalty compared to is Mateta's infamous penalty against Bochum where he basically just... Didn't want it. Just walked into the ball, yeah. walked into the ball when it barely made the goal line. I think that's an unfair comparison. I think actually this... Yeah, it, this is not the best struck penalty of all time, but he does pretty reasonably find the bottom corner. There is some power on it. It's not It's not the best penalty. The problem is that he telecasts where he's putting the ball so obviously, yeah. uh, which is, you know, when you're that big, it's kind of obvious where you're going to put the ball. Um, the, the keeper's got across the goal very, very quickly and made a good save. Um, so yeah, mixture of not great penalty and good save I think yeah I think if you watch back the highlights certainly the one that I watched the night night after was he doesn't catch it quite right because they do a bit of a close up into the penalty and it takes as he strikes it it takes a bit of a bobble and he, he just doesn't catch it cleanly and if anything it just ends up being a a slightly fist back pass like if your centre half did that you think oh watch out mate but you know it's, it's landed I don't in know, the right I, place. I don't see it as a back pass because I think that there's enough pace in it. I, I mean, if he hits it quicker, the goalkeeper's still getting across the goal. It doesn't, that, it, it's not the pace of the, on the ball that's meant we've missed. The keeper's got across because he's telecasted his movement. It's just, I, it, I, it, I, basically, I, basically for that, for, for that specific penalty to go in with this penalty taker, probably, you, you're either having to send the goalkeeper the wrong way, which is, I think, difficult when you're quite tall, or, um, you need to be putting it high so that it's at a more difficult height for the goalkeeper to save. But the the keeper's got down in a way that he's caught the ball in his chest. He's not had he's not been forced into a good save. He's made a save. I think it's a good save. 
I, it's, it's one you'd expect a goalkeeper to make in the Bundesliga. I would expect him to get back to that. And I'm, I'm happy to agree to disagree, and, and the, the the listeners will have to watch the highlights. Um, but for, for me, it's it is like it is correct. He has placed it. It is his technique. He is six foot six, and like you say, it is difficult to to hide what you're going to do with a football when you're that big. Um, but for me, the fact the goalkeeper's got across and, and caught it in his chest means that it's not placed well enough. Because well, kid- I don't think there is any way he could place it because it is basically the goalkeeper's getting across the goal. I mean, unless you're going to hit at the speed of sound or something. Yeah, you've got to hit but the ball. And, and, you yeah, can't and- hear that. It's, it's just not physically hard, like possible to hit the ball that hard that the keeper wouldn't have been at the corner of the, oh the way that he's dived. You know, Renault's not one of the biggest goalkeepers in the world. Is no, but look, look how quickly he got down. Like it's yeah. I don't know. If, basically, if you're going to put if you're going to put the ball in that corner, you you basically need him to be diving at the point you hit after the point you hit the ball. Mm. Uh, he's guessed the right way because it's, it was fairly obvious where he's going to put it. And yeah, well, that was the the first kind of disappointment. And having been two 0 down already and not really got back into the game, we were thinking at that, or I was certainly thinking at that point. Oh no, you know this it's just not going to be our day. And then um, the ball popped out in the right right hand side. A great ball in was flicked on by the centre half. And Anthony Cassie crashed in. Can we call it a classic Cassie finish now? I think a- we can because I think. Well, I, I made this point to you that I think he actually may be the best striker of all that we have. Um, he's got a couple of very, very nice finishes last season. Hertha at home and yep. Leverkusen away. Um, two very, very good finishes. Obviously, in the Burnley game in pre-season, which you know I'm not going to. We're, we're talking. Not, we're not going to analyze performances and results, but we can analyze the finish. Was. Mm very very neat um, and I think he's good for this kind of stuff um, quite frequently um, does obviously very right footed um, but yeah he's just waited for the, the, the ball to hit down and just yeah put a very nice sort of um, yeah put put a nice strike on it and uh, yeah from the moment he left his boot it was obviously going in oh yeah it's, it's, he's come out come out to him on the far stick and I couldn't see it because the way the flag was waving <laughs> and all of a sudden I saw Cassie kind of Midair, trying it's like a half decanio scissor volley, uh, and the ball flying back across the goalkeeper into the far corner, um, and and we erupted the away end erupted, and we thought, Do you know what, here we go, and then five minutes later, all good things come in threes. The ball was played out onto our left hand side. The cross came in, and uh, Mister Cycles Home was there to nod it home for a third time. Yeah, I mean, I think this one is a mixture of. You know the bad defending from the first two. Plus, actually, you have to really criticise the midfield for this. In terms of, so the ball breaks to Becker, who goes wide. Um, no one really goes with him quite so much. They're trying to cover the space that he can't go towards goal, but not really prevent the cross. And then basically, Stack's jogging back, not interested at all. Barrero doesn't follow Barons in, so Barons arrives with all of the momentum. Bell's just again watching the game on TV, um, <laughs> like on the flat of his feet. Doesn't have the momentum, so you have to give him. You have to kind of give him that, but at the same time, you know, if you're on your toes, it's probably a little bit easier to get there first. At least put him off. Mm. It's just, yeah. Again, there's I, so so many players have just done stuff there where it's just like, I mean, what have you been doing? In yeah, training all week? The, <laughs> everyone's fallen asleep and they? they've gone for a quick nap. Um, I think you have to give credit to Barons because he gets up really well. Yeah. for the third goal it's, it's the hardest one of the three it's definitely it, sure. his hand time is excellent um, but like you say he's not exactly jumped against anyone so I would expect him to get there and get there he did um, so I think, yeah. I think it's a shame because for that 10 minute period between 
um, Bruder coming on and um, that goal, I think we had look, we did look really good and we did kind of look that even though it did actually feel very early on like the game was done, that actually there might be a bit of a riposte and you know if we just sneak a goal then or or just ha- like hang on at two one for a little bit longer and just sort of wait for the opportunities to come, then it might be okay. But um, so it wasn't to be. Um, the game felt one for you on at that point, but we were still going through the gears. Ajork hits the bar. There's another penalty uh, after he sort of forages, and uh, Robin Knocker decides to slap the ball. I think it was Knocker. Maybe it was. It was Knocker. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then this one, I think we just yeah, we don't have to debate about the penalty because this one was probably a bit rolling it back to the goalkeeper. I was. Do we need to talk about back passes? Is that <laughs> is that an entertaining part of a podcast? The, the second penalty is is just simply a poor yeah. penalty. I mean, and the thing that we can talk about is should he have been allowed to take it? Obviously, he becomes the first person to miss two penalties in a Bundesliga game, and the reason why that has not happened in sixty years of the Bundesliga is most likely that yeah, I mean, free, you don't often get two penalties in one game. You're more likely to score than miss. Um, but then usually once you miss I think it's the clever thing to do to let someone else take it take take someone out of the, the firing line where basically no matter what happened after that point if, if a short was going to miss he was going to be slated even yeah. if he'd actually done well in all round play which um, I think he didn't have his best game for us um, but you know probably not quite as bad as it, maybe it has been discussed as just because of obviously the two misses that come above everything else in the all round play um, but yeah, just take him out the firing line. There's other strikers of the ball uh, in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm convinced that we met, we mentioned Anthony Cassie. I'm convinced he's a good penalty taker. Like fullbacks are just good at penalties. He hits the ball nicely. I'm sure he could send people the wrong you way. You say fullbacks are good penalties. The uh, first Mainz player to miss after our was it 36 penalties in a row was Aaron Martin. So exception to the rule, maybe. I'm I'm with you on the fact that Cassie would be a good striker of the ball, and I'd like to see him take a penalty. There might be a reason he doesn't take one. I don't know. I when Ajork stepped up because no nobody was really sure what happened anyway. Obviously, we couldn't see the handball from the away end down yeah. the other side of the pitch. The Referee went over to VAR and we're going, Yo, what's going on here? He's pointing to the spot and we've gone, do you know what? We'll take this. Um, and then as York stepped up and there's, there's, it was kind of, it was kind of divided, I felt, in the away end. There's a lot of people going, oh, do you know, why is he taking this? You know, he's missed the first one. Who's, whose idea was this? And there's other people going, oh, do you know what? A pair of balls on you. Um, take this, show us what you can do. And I was one of those and I thought, actually, do you know what? If you are going to take this, then good on you. I'd probably prefer that you didn't, based on exactly what you've said already. Um, but if you are going to take this, good on you. But what I want you to do, instead of trying to place this one, is just put your foot through it. Just yeah. crash this one down the middle. Take the take the goalkeeper, take the net, take everything with you if you can. You just need to absolutely drill this into the middle of the goal. Just thank you very much. Even out of pure frustration, thank you very much. I can take penalties. It's 3-2. Grab the ball, take it back to the centre circle. Let's go and get an yeah. equaliser. But he ten did. Ten minutes probably left with it. Within ten minutes, he, um, and we didn't do that. And um, what I'm worried about now is after those two misses, Bo's come out and supported him massively and said, you know, we win as a team, we lose as a team. Ajork himself has said sorry. Um, again, the whole kind of team thing. Um, I hope he doesn't take the next penalty when we get the next penalty. But in terms of his general play, I'm a little bit worried that he's now going to fall into a 10-15 game goalless streak because he just gets inside his own head. He was very clearly inside his own head before he took the second penalty, which yeah, is why... Yeah, 100%. That's why he shouldn't have been taking it. No, exactly. Which is why he gave it back to the goalkeeper and said, they are, mate. I don't like playing football anyway. <laughs> we don't like VAR. No, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, that is a concern in terms of, I think, the, all of the stuff that's been said since is the correct thing for all of those people to have been saying. Um, I 
would it's one of those things where now if we're going to be taking a penalty where it's going to be a you know go ahead um get back on level terms decrease the deficit kind of thing i probably would want someone else to take it if we're tuning up and we get a penalty late on yeah then i think you just have to let him get through it kind yeah. of thing um but yeah it's it's maybe one of those things where we were slightly too early to praise him so uh, something noted for that obviously there was a, a late fourth goal for Union, which i don't think there's much you can really analyze about it other than maybe people aren't going slightly full they, they aren't go, going into it with sort of 100 percent defending but no, i we've, think we've just been caught on the counter trying to throw everything forward. exactly we've gone forward looking for a goal and um in the 96th minute they've hit us on the counter it's it's just a classic there's 10 seconds left and we've got one man back and they've They've got three attacking lads that yeah. don't feel the need they need to track back right now. So when the ball's come plowing forward, nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's a frustrating one, but I think probably there are some mild positives to be taken out of the game in terms of very clearly need to change something ahead of the weekend um, on um, playing uh, Frankfurt on Sunday. Um, there were a couple of good performances, um, especially off the bench. Um, Brian Gruder, we've mentioned, was fantastic. Yep. Um, and I think just looking at the approach to the game in, in an attacking sense, um, I just think we didn't... We know what Union are all about, like solid defending, sitting quite deep, punishing you on the break, uh, punishing you from set pieces. Um, we probably should have started with a, a team that's going to give you a little bit more to think about than sort of running in behind and um, yeah, playing the ball up to Ajorg. Um, and yeah, Gruder is a little bit more inventive, runs at players, commits players, creates space where there wasn't any. He proved that in that half an hour spell that he was on the pitch. And I would really like to see that against Frankfurt where ideally we'll actually have a little bit more space uh, anyway. Yeah, this is what I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about is that we don't seem to have proved over the, if you include the back end of last season, the last six or seven games that we have a plan B. And that's not just in terms of the formation we start with, but also the way we play football. And it seems to be kind of get the ball out into the wide areas and knock it diagonally long and hope for the best. And in the Bundesliga, hope for the best isn't good enough. And, you know, it seems to... And if, if I if I ever have to see Danny DaCosta try and cross a ball again, I think I'll give up my season ticket. <laughs> I mean, I think that will probably happen at the weekend. So you might have to <laughs> re-evaluate that. Early holiday this season. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a little bit odd that we're, we do get the ball out wide quite a lot without actually having a winger I think we have made a new uh, a signing um, today uh, with Marco Richter joining from Hertha BSC um, I think he, he has played out wide in, in his career yep. um, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of him and you know from the if you look at just like the stats on paper um, and the couple of games I've seen of him it's one of those ones where it's like well I hope that the club know better than I do and I'm sure they do um, but do you reckon that might be an interesting option in terms of just like changing our box of tricks and an attacking sense. 100% I think he will do. If you look at, like you say, the stats on paper and, and what, what we've seen of him, I can't comment loads. I'm, I'm not an expert on, on Marco Richter, um, but he seems to play as on the right-hand side of the three in a similar position to, to what we play anyway with Lee and Onizivo running off the back of a jork. So I can imagine that he will actually come in and replace Jason Lee. I hope so, um, yeah. Which I, th- I think... I say it can only be a positive. That seems very unfair on Jason, who is a very capable footballer, but I think he's proven in certainly the last couple of games that he's not at it. Um, and the other option was dropping him back into the centre of midfield. And we, we saw what happens when that happens uh, away at Frankfurt at the back end of last season. Um, he's got he's, he's got 150, this Marco Richter, he's got 150 games under his belt in the Bundesliga. Um, 25, and he's, so he's, he's 25 old. years old and was the standout player at Hertha. 
um, which to a certain extent is very difficult to become a stand-up player, a, a club that is just as chaotic as Hertha Berlin have been for the last few years. So um, it, it's not a transfer that, that raises too much excitement for me. It's not a transfer where I think, my God, why have we signed this man? I, you know, we want nothing to do with him. It's very kind of down the middle of the road. Okay, he's come in. We've got him on a four-year deal. He's 25. Let's see what he can do. Well, he'll come in. Hopefully. Time will be the best judge. Absolutely. Not, not to do a pun across two languages, but um, <laughs> unfortunately we have to with these kind of things. Um, just to go into the rumour bill a little bit more as well, there has been um, murmurs about a potential return of Philip and Vienna to um, fill the kind of vacant fullback slot. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, he's another player that will come in and do a job. I think he's very capable. Another transfer that doesn't fill me with any excitement. Um, I remember when he left previously to go to PSV that, you know, he didn't leave necessarily on the best terms, which got a lot of people's noses up, um, understandably. Um, but again, a player, I think, that will come in and not be the worst option in the world. But I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's going to win the Ballon d'Or next season. He's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that would be difficult. But um, A man can dream. <laughs> well, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see that be a turn up for the books. I mean, <laughs> I, for me, I mean, obviously, if the, the stuff about leaving on bad terms... Um, if the club are willing to sign him again, then clearly it's not that bad terms. It, with As a fan, I think a lot of people have um, their own way of looking at things. And I, I, I tend to just sort of, unless it's a player that I really want to stay, which I think Vayner never was for me, mm. um, then I tend to think, well, if you want to further your career, then fine. Um, I think it's one of those things where, yeah, again, not massively enthusiastic, but we know how good he is. Which is both a good and a bad thing to a certain a certain extent. Like we know what he can and can't do. Um, I think from a profile point of view, like he'll be able to slip um, to slip into the system because fairly we we've not really changed how we play that much in the couple of years that he's been away. Um, and obviously he's able to play on both sides of the defense, so that does add a bit of flexibility to things as well. He's a player. Of- he's a player that will come in and bolster the squad. Um, and he'll 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 bolster it not just in a. a kind of filling out the numbers kind of way, but actually adding a bit of quality to the squad as well. And certainly as a solid option should another player get injured um, and that other player being De Costa or, or like you say, he can play on both sides. So God forbid that Cassie gets injured. Um, so it will be it will be interesting to see. And um, you know, if he does come in and he does do a job, then people will be happy. If he comes in, it's going to be one of those transfers to think that if he comes in and, and does poorly, then everyone will say, I told you so. Um, and if he comes in and does well and everyone will say, ah, do you know what, I told you, he's the best player in the world anyway. So, yeah, we'll, again, time will judge. And I, I'm stepping away from the, the biggest kind of extreme opinions on players now because we saw what happened last week with Ajork. Um, uh, so what you should do is slate him because then if you'll be wrong, because like I'll be wrong, we should just both be really negative And then next week it should hopefully be a lot better. There we go. We've both decided now. It's now the unnamed negative English Minds podcast, <laughs> and we're just going to have horrible opinions about Minds players, and yeah, we're going to end up winning the league. Them into, yeah, exactly. Um, if you're I listening, mean, lads, you're all lawful. Don't <laughs> leave yeah, the club. Don't try and score. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so um, final thought: saying we should look ahead to Frankfurt at home, first home game of the season. Mm. Um, the game against them away in Frankfurt last season didn't go that well that's probably the, the, the one that's in most recent memory because that was the end of, April, uh, end of April wasn't it or start of, no it's is May so it's not long ago at all um, 
they have a good squad on paper and in practice. Um, but they do have a new manager who hasn't managed at the top level before. Um, obviously, has done it in Luxembourg, and so you probably know all about him. And uh, <laughs> has, has uh, also been assistant to Julian Nagelsmann. But um, I think that's the that's the bit where I'm kind of interested. I think for me, with not knowing much about Top Muller as a coach, it kind of makes me interested to see what they're going to be. They might be a bit of an unknown quantity. Yeah, 100%. And I, we've shown in the last sort of three or four seasons that we pull a decent result off against them at home and don't play well against them away. So the fact it's a home game, it'll be a sellout crowd again, I think. Um, it's just, we, we just have to prove that we're better than we've shown ourselves so far. And you'd hope that the lads will look at this game and go, OK, Frankfurt have quality, not as much quality as, as they've shown maybe in previous seasons, winning the Europa League, obviously. Um, let's let's in front of our own crowd, in front of our own colours, let's show what we can do. And we, we need to do that because it's otherwise you're going two games into the season with two defeats. Bremen away afterwards, we should be taking points from, but again, it's not an easy game. Um, so it's we, we need to make sure that we get some points on the board early and start putting performances in that that, that show that we we mean business this season. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I think you know we went through a lot of phases last season where we had a bad result and then we were able to come back to um, the, our home stadium and sort of at least dig in and get a point, if not three. Um, so fingers crossed that that's a continuation um, from there. But I think we should call it an evening. Sheridan, thank you. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks very much, Con. I'll try not to be uh, too negative next week. <laughs> we'll hope. Hopefully. Goodbye.